But there are other better ideas, in my opinion. Hub Arkish, that's getting better than this. Hub Arkish with Parkins and Spiegel on 670 The Score. He is the great Hub Arkish. He joins us on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline. Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. It is the Parkins and Spiegel Show. It is Matt Spiegel and Marshall Harris of CBS2 Chicago. Pleased to be joined by Hub. Hub, how are you, sir? I am doing well. How are you guys doing today? We are good. It's been nice to read you from down there. Um, and how's it been to be down there? Uh, seeing so many old friends in a business you have patrolled for decades. Sir. Well, you know, guys, I, I know a lot of folks have heard at least part of my story over the last six months or so. And I got cleared to get back to work full time just about a week, week and a half ago. And uh, being in Indianapolis uh, has been a special treat. It's just getting to see everybody and getting to get back to work. And also, you know, this is one of the most enjoyable things of the year, the, the draft, and this is the first build up to it. And so uh been a really, it's been interesting. Uh, there's certainly been uh, a few news stories broken, uh, but beyond that, it's just been a, a great time and uh, feels good to be back at it. And, and with Arthur down there working as well, right? So it's got to be a nice family atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, it is. Arthur uh, actually has been doing this for a while now, too, I guess about 10 years. And, yep. Um, you know, it's always, it's fun because all the guys that we work with are there, uh, here, you know, I should say, although I'm actually, I just got back in Chicago. We spent the first three and a half days and, uh, working from home now with so much of it on TV. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's a special time to get to do it with one of your sons. And, uh, uh, you know, there's been a lot of stories broken and a lot of news uh, taking place. Uh, one of the things I read that you wrote, Hub, about the defensive line, um, and there's so many needs there. This nugget jumped out at me. As many as 20 players with grades of first, second, or third round at the edge or inside on the defensive line, that strikes me as a massive number. Is that, uh, is that large compared to what it often is at this point? It is large, and not all 20 will go in the first three rounds, but there are that many players that could. It certainly wouldn't be a surprise. Um, uh, you know, you have to remember that, you know, when you're talking about the first three rounds, we, we've got almost 90 players, and, and so there's going to be, you know, a large number of players from various positions, but the strongest area of this draft so far, and, and a lot of that work is being done now, and some of these grades are going to change for a lot of these young men, uh, but the strongest area does appear to be the defensive line, and that is fortunate for the Bears and Bears fans because I think most would agree that that is, you know, they have a number of needs, but that is probably their greatest need. There, there's so many needs. <laughs> We've been talking about it. I mean, it's like a big bucket. You could just reach in and pull anything out, and that would be a need for the Bears. But at defensive end, uh, when you're talking about like an edge rusher, who stands out to you? And, and, and just kind of walk us through as a guy – Who's saw the Bears, you know, sack the fewest or have the fewest number of sacks last season? What they should be looking for and how they should be trying to fulfill that need? Well, you know, I know a lot of people have been hearing a lot about Jalen Carter this week for reasons, uh, multiple reasons, and he was the consensus highest rated defensive lineman in the draft until uh, some of his. I don't even want to say his problems. We don't have enough details on this yet. We we know that he's been charged with a couple of misdemeanor crimes and, uh, you know, tragically a couple of people died in, in car accidents. And, um, you know, I, I don't mean to make light of that or belittle it in any way, but, but what Carter's actual involvement is, what impact it will have 
on his future on where he goes in the draft is still an open question that's going to take at least a couple of weeks to sort itself out, if not much longer. Um, but again, with that 20 number and all the players involved, uh, the focus has quickly shifted to players like Will Anderson, like Tree Wilson, like Nolan Smith, like you know Lucas Van Ness, and I can start and give you 20 names. There, there's a ton of really good football players out there, and uh, there's at least three or four edge rushers that depending on which NFL people you talk to, some will have them ahead of Jalen Carter. And so, you know, I'm assuming that the Bears will trade that first round pick. I think they'd be crazy not to. They will still have a first round pick and get at least one more first round pick uh, probably next year, plus other picks. And so I still expect their first player to be a defensive lineman. Now, whether it's an interior guy or an edge rusher remains to be seen because they need both. Um, But I do think that's where the Bears focus continues to be, irrespective of what's happened with Carter so far. Hub, if they trade down to seven where the Raiders need a quarterback or eight where Atlanta might consider a quarterback or nine where Carolina uh, would consider a quarterback. If they trade all the way down there, is there an edge rusher that, that you'll particularly think that, that they should or might consider a non will Anderson edge rusher that they feel great about? Cause apparently this is a really good crop of them. Yeah. And, and I think the key is will Anderson because he is, Certainly number two. I'm not sure if he's number one or number two on my list. I mean, I like Jalen Carter a lot as a football player, uh, but but he's not a guarantee. Uh, and, and I've talked to a couple people who have some concerns just on the football part, you know, irrespective of what else has happened. And and Anderson could very well go, you know, three, four, five, six, but he also could last, you know, down to seven, eight, or nine. And and to me, that would be an easy pick for the Bears to make right there if that's where they ended up. Um, you know, next, on, depending on whose list you're looking at, Tree Wilson, uh, you know, Nolan Smith, these guys, seven or eight might be a little rich for one of them. Um, but this gets into, you know, the Bear Scouts and what they're seeing so far and, 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 and so much more that they're going to learn. You know, the, the thing that, that we've got to focus on, the draft is still two months off. It's April 27th. It's almost two full months. These, these, these grades are all going to change. We're going to learn more about these kids. Uh, I think that there will be at least two and possibly three defensive linemen in the top ten. The question is, you know, Anderson is number two. I'm not sure who number three is yet. But if the Bears end up picking somewhere between seven or ten, there's still a, a chance that they're going to get a very good edge rushing prospect or interior line prospect at that spot. Looking at draft possibilities with Hub Arkish, who uh, has been down in Indianapolis and uh, and now back home comfortably. So sometimes the wide receiver who's ranked number one isn't necessarily, you know, uh, the, the same level as others who have been there. I don't know if if Quentin Johnston from Texas Tech is Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson uh, or, you know, one of those guys, but he is the number one wide receiver. Is he of that caliber? Like, do you think he is possibly a special, great, true number one wide receiver? He is definitely possibly a special, great wide receiver. I do have him as number one on my list, although I I may be in a slight minority here with some of the other you know, draft experts, the guys who study it all year and who make their living at this time of the year. Um, you know, there, there is an awful lot of love for Jordan Addison uh, at USC, and some people have him as number one. Um, I have a few concerns about him, not that he's not going to be a great NFL receiver, but I've got him as my number two. 
Um, uh, I just there, there is so much about Johnson to like, you know, and, and the way he's performed in big games, the incredible size and speed at six four two fifteen. You know, he's got a four four forty time. Uh, actually, the the thing that's holding Addison back a little bit is that he does not have tremendous speed. And if he had, if he was a four four guy, I think there's a, a good chance that he would be the number one guy. Uh, but but those are the two best. And then after that, it gets interesting because unlike the wide receivers, there is, you know, at least a dozen wideouts uh, that are going to become big time NFL players. But I'm not sure how many more have sure first round picks after the first two. There'll probably be three, maybe even four in the first round, but that's about it. Uh, I'm changing subjects violently here. Um, (laughs) big, big, Big time shift. How have you felt as you see the Bears ready to leave Soldier Field and go to Arlington Heights as a guy who has covered it and, and known it and seen so many dalliances <laughs> with Arlington Heights? My God, there was one in the 70s, there's one in the 90s, right? Like It's constantly been what it is. It looks like it's actually happening right now. Yeah, it seems to be the team's first choice. I have mixed emotions about it, I'm sure. You know, like any Bears fan, I mean, whether you're 20 or 70, you know, it's been your lifetime as a Bears fan uh, at Soldier Field. It's never been a great stadium, but it's been the Bears stadium. And uh, the idea of Arlington Heights, it doesn't bother me. I mean, it's it's, it's a logical spot. Uh, they have what they need to build the best stadium in the NFL there, and, and I hope that they will accomplish that. If that is, in fact, what they do, it will obviously be, uh, a major impact on, on the entire uh, area out there, you know, as far as what it will do financially for folks. It's not just about the stadium. Uh, it's about the homes that will be built, the restaurants that will be built, uh, the stores that will be built, the jobs it will create. So, you know, it's it's sad for me to see my history with the Bears ending but it's also kind of exciting to think about what they can do out there yeah and, and it's it, I, I i agree but i imagine you feel it you know deeper than than many of us do you remember some of your earliest times in soldier field hub i remember my my first game ever at soldier field and that was as a, as a five-year-old with my dad you know? wow. so, um, for those yeah. who don't know for those who don't know hub's dad founded uh pro football weekly um so 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 your dad was was in the business at the time when you were five, or is still aspiring to be in the business? I well, actually, I should I, I got that wrong. My first game ever with my dad was at Wrigley Field, of course, and, and, and yes, uh, he he unfortunately passed away very young and was gone by the time they moved to Soldier Field. Uh, but I suppose the place I would lock in on Soldier Field is I, I've lost track of exactly how many years it was I was in the broadcast. I was 20, I think, or 18 or 22 or something like that. But all of those games were at Soldier Field. And so, you know, I went there, you know, uh, 18 times a year, a couple preseason games, 16 regular season games, rarely a playoff game (laughs) once in a while. (laughs) And, uh, you know, called called them all there. And, and, uh, you know, a a huge part of my professional life is at Soldier Field. And so that part of it is sad. I, I hate to see it end. But it's never been a great stadium, and so I think it will be a little easier for everybody to get over it, uh, assuming that they do do it right and 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 do a great job building the new one. And by the way, this isn't over yet. It, it does look like that's the way it's going. It does seem clear that the Bears' preference would be to go to Arlington Heights. We're going to have a new mayor. I don't know what is it a month or in two months, and then they will take another run at seeing what they can do with Soldier Field. So I think it's going to happen in Arlington Heights. Uh, but but we still don't know for sure, and so there's there's still more of the story to develop over the next few months. Hub, oh, it's definitely been an, an interesting thing for me to follow. I've been here a year and a half, and it's like 
one of the biggest things that's been happening since I've been here is the, the talk about the move to Arlington Heights. I wanted to ask you big picture when you look at this Bears roster right now, knowing they've got the cap space, knowing they've got the, the number one pick in the draft, but they need more picks. Like, How long do you, do you foresee this rebuild taking in terms of getting – you know, Justin Fields, what he needs to, to, to cook, for lack of a better term. Because uh, I, I don't think it's going to happen next year. And I, I hope 2024 we're going to look at a team, you know, pushing for a playoff spot. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they have enough assets. And if they do this right, uh, the hope would be for them to be a playoff contender in 24. Uh, you know, not necessarily a playoff team, certainly not a Super Bowl team, but but that's the way it works in the NFL these days. It shouldn't take more than a couple of years, and especially with all the assets that they have to to acquire new talent. And uh, you know, I, I I like Ryan Poles personally. Other than that, you know, we've still got a lot to learn uh, about what he's going to do here and, and how good or bad he will do at it. But, but he does have enough assets to add enough talent to have this team ready to contend with other, you know, playoff wannabes uh, by, by the 24 season. And uh, I, I don't think we can really even guess at what's going to happen this year because they haven't done anything yet. And until we know, I will be really surprised if they don't trade that for that number one overall pick. Um, I am not, guys as high on Justin Fields as, as, as a lot of people are. I'm not low on him either. I'm not, I'm not writing him off by any means. I think there's a chance he can be the answer, but I don't think he has accomplished nearly what people keep giving him credit for. I mean, when you look at his passing numbers, he is not an NFL passer yet, and, and he has the physical ability to be one. We don't know yet if he has the mental ability. That's why 23 is going to be so important. And so what makes this question really hard to answer is who's he going to be at the end of the 23 season? Is he going to be their future franchise quarterback? Because if he is, then 24 could be really interesting. Is, are they going to be looking for another quarterback You know, in 24? We don't know that yet. And, and so until we have at least a better feel for that, it's just too hard to know how long this is going to take. I, I love, Hub, that you're just right inside my brain right now because you know I've, I've been talking to, to Matt about this, but I was just like, I, I, I the thing I need to see was – in, in going into the last season was, hey, is he the guy? And the and, thing and I came didn't away he show you didn't he show you that he's at least a version of the guy? He showed me he's got some potential, but w- uh. we can't be sitting here talking about your starting NFL quarterback and potential be the word you're using to describe your starting NFL quarterback. Not your your fran- not your you franchise can't. quarterback. No, I, I, look, I, I think Hub has just given voice to what is part of the nuance that we were talking about with Weederer that you and I were talking about off the air. I think it's another season, and might not want to admit it. Um, my partner might not want to have admitted it, but I think it's going to be another year where you go in with all eyes on fields, hoping you, the team gets a little bit better, but hoping you see that leap from the quarterback because you got a decision to make at the end of the season with him. You know, he, he's an impressive young man. He's a very good athlete. He's an excellent runner. But, but there are some hard numbers here that people have to accept because of the reality. He's had 25 starts at this point in the NFL. He has never thrown for 300 yards. That's not the end of the world. It's disappointing, but it's not the end of the world. What may be the end of the world is he's only thrown for 200 yards five times, guys. And that's, that's the, you got to be thrown for 200, two and a quarter, 250 a game if you're going to be a franchise quarterback. And we don't know if he can do it yet, you know, and that is even though he has the physical ability to do it, does he have the mental ability to do it? Does he have the feel that the great quarterbacks have? And, and, and we don't really have 
a lot of information about that right now. So I, I think everybody has to be fair to him. I think it's okay to be excited about him because he is a special athlete. He is a special runner. And I think he's got the arm strength. I don't know if he's got the accuracy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, but this is what we've got to find out in the, in the 23 season. Would you be considering taking Bryce Young and restarting the, the, the contract clock? Um, is he impressive enough? I don't think so. No, I, I, I think that those four quarterbacks are all going to go in the first round. I don't think any of them is worth the first overall pick. Nonetheless, one of them will probably go number one because that's what happens with quarterbacks. But you see, guys, this is, to me, what's kind of fun and interesting about all this is that by trading the first-round pick, they're going to get at least another number one this year and next year's number one from whoever makes that deal. And where that leaves them, if, and I hope he, I hope Fields makes it. I, I really like the kid. But, but if he doesn't, now you go into next year with two number ones, and you're the team that can pick the quarterback that you want if, in fact, Fields hasn't made it. So they're in good shape with this. I, I think Bowles, if he makes the trade, is doing it right. Now, if he is committed, he isn't committed to Justin Fields, but if he does not trade that number one pick and doesn't use it on a quarterback, then I think he's making a big mistake because then he's not in the condition he needs to be in next year to be able to fix that if it doesn't work out. That's why I'm so convinced that that's what they're going to do. Yeah. Um, uh, and, 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 and that's, that's not a bad thing because they've got, they've got other things they have to fix and they can get most of that fixed this year. And if that leaves them either with fields as the answer mm-hmm. or with another really exciting quarterback for next year, you're where you want to be going into 24. I think some of those stats are are da- are damning of a lot more than just fields obviously like in terms of the talent in terms of the way the defenses were able to scheme for him in terms of what they did when they were most successful which was running him a lot and 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 things like that but for anybody who is reacting kind of violently to hearing some of those stats or hearing the the opinions i think hub's opinions on fields completely dovetail with the nuance that we were talking about with Witterer an hour ago. Like, there's a bunch of textures coming after you, Hub, right now, as is the way here on 670 The Score. Which is fine. Of of course it's fine. But I'm responding to them, but I'm also saying to Hub that breaking down the tape and saying, oh, look at that, he made a bad choice right there. Instead of checking down, he he, he broke pocket. That is is a, a tangible and specific way to talk about it, whereas maybe the stats... Are 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 a little more complicated. Yeah, the raw raw numbers, and certainly not only raw numbers, but the context has to be there for them. And 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 help. I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying though, as far as laying out the plan for now. I love what you just said about hey, he's the guy this year. You're not taking a quarterback number one, and then you are in great position, especially if you don't believe that these quarterbacks are, you know, game changers, mm-hmm. because then you're gonna have a very high pick. <laughs> Well, you know, guys, listen, you can't ignore the stats, but we didn't even mention the most important aspect of those stats, which is that they weren't good enough at wide receiver to to, to be better in the passing game. This is not all on Justin Fields. It's not as simple as he can do it or he can't. There are a lot of things to fix. They've got to get better at receiver, too. We know that. But at the end of the day, when you've been doing this as long as I have and you study this tape and you talk to experts who know a lot more about it than I do, um, there are a number of things on that tape that leave open the questions as to whether Justin Fields reads the football field and makes the decisions the way a franchise quarterback does. Now, after just three years and only really less than – 
two years as a starter, you can't expect him to be there. But but you need to see these things start to get better. They are going to get – I'm sure they're going to get better at the receiver positions this year. I hope they get better on the offensive line. That's going to help him a lot. Again, I know I've said it three or four times. I think there's a chance he may be the guy, mm-hmm. but, but he's got to prove it this year. You, you know, this is the year that you have to find out. Hub, nice to talk to you. Um, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for the time today. Appreciate it. Always good to visit with you guys. Take care. Have a great evening. All right. That's Hub Arkish right there. Um, 670 the score. I, I, think, I think the numbers, like raw passing numbers, right. are, the, are the wrong way to discuss the nuance, yeah, frankly, I, and, and, and that's and well, I was I was trying to say that to him, and I'm saying this to the texters in a way to defend um, a hub, but also to try and clarify the right way to talk about it is more difficult. The right way to talk about it, of course, it is 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 anecdotal sometimes and is detailed and specific about certain plays, and it's about instincts and compulsion, and sometimes it takes 7,000 words. Like Weider Well, put that's why Weider's piece was so good and insightful right? is because, right? like I said, he took the time to lay it out in a way where we, most of us anyway, have been thinking about it the entire time. Yeah, I'm not saying Justin Fields is bad as football. I'm not saying he's not going to reach his potential. <laughs> I'm just saying, based on what I've seen, I can't sign off and be like, this is the dude that's going to you know, win Super Bowls for the Bears. Yeah. Which is not the first time there's been a quarterback where we said he's not going to win Super Bowls for the Bears. Mm. So it's not anything new, per se, but he is the most electric guy I've seen in a Bears uniform in my yeah. lifetime. Yeah, no, without a doubt. It's crazy. Look at the damn NFL. I love rolling. the NFL. It's rolling. It's I love sports. Right Did I tell you that? You love sports? I love sports. I'm gonna I ask love the you, sports ball. Uh, I'm gonna, let me ask you about a little sport ball, a different one, when oh, we come back okay. in a moment. Because I knew something was going to happen, and it happened today. I, I will explain in a matter of moments. It's Parkins and Spiegel on 670 The Score with Spiegs and Marshall Harris. The Parkins and Spiegel Show. Which is so amazing and loved by everyone. Afternoons on The Score. We are having a good time this afternoon here on Parkinson Spiegel. It is me, Speaks. It is Marshall Harris from CBS 2 Chicago. It is, of course, the great Chris Tannehill. And it is Leo Stutterher. Nailed it. Nailed it, Tanny. I was concerned. Can't say. You were you? You were worried? I was slightly concerned. Let me tell you. Congratulations. Thank you very much. The first step in saying Leo's name right is knowing Leo's name. And I took care of that and a little the first while step ago. To knowing the name is asking you. <laughs> yeah, that's anybody though, right? Yeah, I mean, I could have, I could have like probably searched for an email where Mitch introduced us to him, something like that. Did he put a pronouncer in there? No. Oh, okay. So yeah, I go two birds, one stone here. I ask him, and he tells me, so that's a win. And then he says it, and I figure that dude knows how to say his own name. Exactly. I mean, that's that's the lowest bar I could come up with. The parroting is sometimes. <laughs> Crucial and key. Both. Leo, uh, Leo, grab a mic there. Ladies and gentlemen, Leo Stodderher. Is that the way that Chuck Swirsky says your name when you run Bulls games, sir? Uh, no, but Chuck's the man, so I'll let him say oh, it right there once yeah. in a while. Yeah, what, what does he go with? What he is, goes with Stodderher. Yeah. Uh, is there a C-H in there? There is. The C is silent, so man. I think that's what... Uh, that's one of the many letters that Stutter. trips people up with it. That's the nerve. The nerve of that C to stay silent. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Speak up, C! 
Or if you're going to be silent, then get the hell out of Leo's well, name. Wait, wait, Leo, I just want to know, what's the worst you've ever heard your last name pronounced? Oh, oh man. Question. Sometimes because people put in like letters that aren't supposed to be there. So I've gotten Studebaker before. Oh, I like Studebaker. Strademeyer. It's just, I've heard it all. It's crazy. Wow, we're, we're deep at interesting last names for um, assistant producers here. I mean, Tyler Buterbaugh. Oh, that's one of the best. Right? Oh, yeah. And, and I worked with Tyler. Yeah, but Tyler's a good dude. And Tyler sometimes goes ahead and calls himself Butterball. That's how he introduced himself to me. Did he? Yeah. He said Tyler Butterball? Yeah. Just, just went right for it? That's something. I like the shtick. Uh, right? Yeah, it's, it's good. It, it, lean into it. So, Leo Studebaker. Have you thought about going with that hardcore? Leo. No, no, not really. But like when I'm when I used to create myself in sports video games, and they only had the few last names you could make for uh, the play by play name in the video games. That's what I would go with. Ah, uh, uh, so play by play names. Like you know video. when you're uh, doing like your your be a pro mode in a in a video game, and gotcha. they don't have my name in it, but that's the closest, that, that's the closest one they, they have. have. What's okay. your favorite sport there, Leo Studebaker? I'm a hockey guy. Oh um, my goodness! Well, that Look fits that. with the name and. You hard to so? pronounce. <laughs> what sport has the hardest pronounced names um, of the mainstream sports? Probably hockey. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. I haven't thought about in those. In People that mess context. up my name, and it's like, oh, nice to meet you, Marcus. I was like, nah, it's no, Marshall. No, no. It's, it's Marshall. So, oh. does he, do we give him a hockey nickname? Is he Stodzy? <laughs> oh, <laughs> that, that's, a, that's too close. Yes, <laughs> exactly. We got Studs, Adam Studzinski, and Studs just you know it it, it wrote itself as a nickname. Frankly, Stodderher. Well, maybe we should ask him, Tanny. We should ask him if he has a hockey nickname. Where is he? Oh, he's still right here. Yeah. Leo, what do you have a nickname of sorts? Well, when I played hockey growing up, it was Stods. So, Stods. Uh, oh, oh, my Stods, God. not Studs. Stods and Studs. That oh, I guess. forgetting I minored in hockey speaks. Don't forget that. <laughs> Dr. <laughs> NBA. Tanny got his doctorate in the NBA. But, but minored in, in, it, it, in minored hockey, in hockey okay. apparently. Ice or field? That's uh, a good question. Ice, ice. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, it's good to have fun with names. <laughs> we we agree with Pat Hughes conceptually. I don't know if I can green light studs. It's just it's too it, close to studs. It, yeah, exactly. That's we, fair. It's begging for trouble around these parts, Leo. I think Leo. I don't know that we've ever had a Leo. I just want to call him DiCaprio, to be honest. It's, it's like seriously. I, I've been at the score. Um, I started the score at nineteen ninety four. Okay, as an intern. Oh, you are older than me. Yeah, right. Okay, you got me. Yeah, so I started at the score in 94, and I was here until mm, 2003, and then I was gone for a while, and I came back in 09. So it's difficult to say how long I've been here totally when you add it all up. But um, I don't ever recall Leo. Tanny, you've got, you've got you know, a lot of longevity on you as well. Do you remember a Leo of any kind not as a host I, or producer? No, none whatsoever. Yeah. I've never seen Leonard DiCaprio at a sporting event all my life. <laughs> wow. Y'all, y'all be digging deep in there. I, I love it. Come on. No, nobody digs deeper than Taddy. I'm, I'm with this. Just say Leo and he's looking around. I was like, I know some, some Leos. Like, girls be like, what's your sign? And I'd be like, do we, we don't want to do this. Yeah, and so uh, Leo is a line. You're not a Leo by any chance, are you, Leo? No. Okay. okay. All right. Yeah, when you're when you're look when you're a man who's a Gemini, you've been branded, and it just tell me it's ah, uh, I am unfamiliar. I I once had a girl tell me Gemini's are the worst men in the world, and really, blah, blah, blah. are like, you? I was like, I'm. I can be bad sometimes, but I don't think I'm the worst. What what are, what are Gemini's? Gemini's are the twins. The right? twins. So what does that like, mean? You got a twin. You got two sides. To your there's there's this whole thing where you like love them and leave them. Like it's it's a whole thing, and I'm just like I'm here to be the anti Gemini. Wow. I'm trying to live a clean life, mm. and just wholesome. I I I. I 
I'm from Huntsville, Alabama. I, I chivalry's not dead. Wow. I, I walk on the outside of the young lady on the on the, on the sidewalk. You're I, from Huntsville. I open doors. Yeah, the Rocket City, the home of Space Camp. I was about Alabama. to say. Alabama! Yeah, not Greenbow, but you know. So, cl- so have you watched um, Hunters on Amazon Prime with Al Pacino as a Nazi hunter? Are you I, hip to this show? I, I, I have not seen it, but I know that there's a Huntsville connection. There is a large Huntsville yeah, connection. Because? Be- because. because uh, tell people. Uh, one of Ron Braun is straight up. You know that... Where where the UH hockey team and the the minor league team play, it's the Von Braun Center, the University of Huntsville. Yeah, they, it's the hockey capital of the South, also because they have the only Division One hockey team south of the Mason Dixon. Yeah, like I'm not going to go Huntsville and hockey. Yeah, draw did, that connection. But the Huntsville Havoc exists. Is that because so all the Germans, league, the Germans that went down there? I, I don't know why it is, but I can just tell you, I didn't know about Von Braun's history as a Nazi oh, until yeah. my little brother, who's in the military, told me all about it. I sure. just knew he was the dude. Who they named the Civic Center after. Yeah. Fun fact um, for the listeners out there, uh, the Nazis were really good at science and yes. were, were catapulting towards space travel um, just as Hitler was defeated by the Alliance. So the Americans really wanted those scientists. No matter what they had done in their past. Not very concerned with that. Or if they were concerned, willing to mitigate that. So again, fun fact about our, our, our country is that we grabbed a bunch of Nazis and put them in the NASA space program and saved them and their families and ensured that we would get to the moon first, which we did in 1969. High five. As my brother likes to joke, it's them other hidden figures you didn't know about. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a whole oh, thing. Oh, man. It's, so, it's so, a whole thing. So Hunters, which is uh, a fun show about hunting Nazis, if there can be such a thing, also includes a massive amount of education about that history, which I did not realize, and and I valued. I love learning. that there's shows out here now that you like literally learn from, oh, as opposed yeah. to just be entertained by. Yeah, well, that, that's what we're talking about. It's like all of that history that that's out there, you know, and 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 culture being repurposed and stuff. You might as well teach people a little something. If you're not careful, you just might learn something. Listen, I at growing up in Alabama, Birmingham till I was ten, Huntsville after that. I I've got a, a large dose of history, whether it's civil rights history, whether it's yeah. Space and Rocket Center history, like we, yeah, yeah. We, it's it's a it's a bunch of nerds hanging out. Textures on it. Operation Paperclip was the U.S. government's operation, which was to procure as many German scientists as they could and enable them to. That's why get to America. And when I watch Captain America now, I'm like, oh yeah, the, the scientists were doing bad things. Oh, oh yes, yeah, some of them, some of them very much were. Yeah. Um, all right, so I told you before the break. That There's a lot going on here. Yeah, I think so too, <laughs> Troy. <laughs> I think so, too. It's 4 o'clock on a March Friday, Troy. So back off. Call your boy Joe Buck. I was thinking about our friend Joe Buck, you know? Um, You guys have a personal relationship? I I do, actually. Okay. He's become a friend or whatever. He's not doing nothing right now. Now that he quit baseball... And the football football's in its offseason. He got the big check. He's got the big old check, and he's not doing jack squat, man. He loves it. We should. I, I should ask him, like, what's what's he doing right now? Uh, I'll ask him. I, I'm break. curious now. Yeah, he's probably in, in Cabo. That's that's where he usually is. Somewhere tropical. Yeah, he's somewhere tropical. Why aren't chilling. we somewhere tropical right now? I don't know, man. You're trying to get on a flight tonight.
Joe Buck probably feels the same way I felt about when I left Gordon Tech. It was all boys, and then the next year after I left, they brought in girls. Like, he feels about baseball probably similarly. Like, oh, now they've shortened the game to two hours, 20 minutes. That's a good point. <laughs> that is a great point, by the way. It's a great point. I can't wait for the short games. I'm, I'm not going to lie. When they changed the rules, I was like, yo, these games, though. Yeah. It's going to be like back in the 80s when we used to watch two-and-a-half-hour games. Like, no no issue. I know. It's like it's like Theo said to Mully and Haw. Everybody's going to turn into Mark Burley. <laughs> right? Love it. Unless so anyway, they get lit up. So it, 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 speaking of the new rules, a couple weeks ago, I showed you, I showed you, um, and I tweeted out to the world this drawing that I made of a baseball diamond and a possible shift that was going to take place with the outfielders to combat the shift restrictions. And here's how I, I, I posited that it would go. The left fielder, comes all the way over towards right field and sets up in like that deep second base area in the outfield grass. Taking away the line drive base hit through the, the, the right side. For the lefty sluggers of the world who are so pull-centric that they're not going to go the opposite way. Center fielder then shifts a little bit over towards left center. Right fielder shifts a little bit over towards um, center field. But that left fielder suddenly is like the fifth infielder. And... If there is a bloop to left or a line drive to left, running, 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 batters got to run like crazy because the third baseman will be like sprinting back into the corner to go get the ball, or more likely the center fielder is going to have to be hauling ass into the left field corner to go get the ball. And as a defense, you are risking giving up extra bases if a if a lefty goes the opposite way. You can only do this with the bases empty. I'm, I'm assuming. I yeah, like because otherwise the risk is just too great. Like a runner from first is definitely scoring if you hit the ball to left. Field. I, I think in a close game you're absolutely right. So so yeah, like you, you probably can only do it with the bases empty. Yeah, or with a multi-run lead where you're willing to concede the possibility of the run from first, which you would never do. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I, I think, you're right. So that's ve- that's the twist on this. Very. From- so so anyway, so I I had I had reached out to um, Theo Epstein with this possibility, and he had intimated that the league itself does have the ability to step in and stop it from happening if it starts to happen a lot. Because they have the ability... Is that in the rules? No. How, well, then how can... If you're, no, 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 if, no, Listen, no. if you're paying attention to spring training, all these, all these teams are talking about ways that they might circumvent the pitch clock... Absolutely. ...or circumvent the step-off... Uh, limitation from the mound, and they're, they're, they're kind of starting to talk about it and maybe try to game the system, the league is very interested in keeping that from happening. They want the rules to take effect. I, I got you, but I think that's a different type of risk, moving the left fielder to that it position. Is. It is. And how, how would you circumvent the pitch clock? Uh, how would it, The catcher holds on to the ball for a while, giving the pitcher a chance to rest before he throws it back to the pitcher and the clock starts. Man. That's one way. Yeah, I don't. David Ross said he wrote down like five or six different things he could do, and he's not going to do some of them yet until the regular, until the regular season. Because then it's harder to say, stop doing Why it. Why give it up in spring training? Exactly. It's kind of genius. It's yeah. I, I like that stuff. It's kind of gamesmanship. It'll be fun. And the, But the league will step in. Anyway, my point is, the Red Sox did it today. Red Sox did the shift that I had described against the Minnesota Twins in a spring training game against Joey Gallo, the hitter at the plate. And I don't know what the outcome was of the play, but the Red Sox did it. So I told people that, that teams were talking about doing it. The Red Sox did it. And it, it looks freaking bananas, doesn't it? I tweeted the picture. There's the left fielder comes over, and he's in front of the right fielder playing a fifth infield spot. 
And I, I, I think if, if it happens a lot, you will see the league step in and through some mechanism, maybe they would say there has to be one outfielder on either side of the center fielder. Like they, they could just put that rule in just to put it in there. Or there has to be, you know what I mean? Like they could add that to augment what they're trying to get. I already know how to figure out how to beat that, what you just said. What do you do? You're just. So the center fielder goes towards right center, right fielder comes all the way in. The the left fielder is now playing in center. Uh And you you, you can can get around all this stuff. All this stuff. But that's why I'm so thankful this gives another layer and that we're not going to really see it until the regular season starts. I'm kind of mad. That the Red Sox did this today and didn't wait till the regular season because now I, they gave it up. I, I want to, yeah. So now MLB has time to address it and they yes. can do whatever. But it's, you know what's fascinating to me is it's really it's the same issue, of course, daring the lefty slugger to go the opposite way, and so few of them can. So, but the ones who can, but the ooh. ones who can are looking at extra bases at the drop of a hat. So to have speed and be able to do that, I know. Learn it, Joey Gallo. Learn it. I've been doing a fun project, Marshall Harris. I've been doing I've my, heard. my 30 favorite ball players of my 30 baseball seasons here in Chicago. We roll on. Number 19 is next. Mark Grody from the Combine with everything you need to know from the day's news at the top of the hour. Speaks of Marshall Harris on Parkinson Spiegel here on The Score. He's got a chance. Go! We're counting down the days to opening day. Happy opening day. By celebrating some of Chicago baseball's all-time greats. There go number 400. But Big Frank, you can't put it on the board. Yes! Here comes the hook. Got it! 20 strikeouts! It's Matt Spiegel's top 30 favorite Chicago baseball players of the last 30 years. Matt Spiegel is one of the great baseball people, and not only in this town, but across the country. From Abreu. Sox win! Sox win! On a grand slam by Jose Abreu. To Big Z. Carlos Zambrano has no hit! The Houston Astros! Matt Spiegel counts us down to opening day. Wow, is that huge! Matt Spiegel's 30 players for 30 years. That's how you do it. On the Parkins and Spiegel Show on 670 The Score. This project has been really fun. Marshall Harris, you've heard some of it. Tell people who we've done so far. So we got. let's start with number 30, Alfonso Soriano, 29, Ray Dermot. You're taking me back to my childhood right now. 28, Carlos Lee, 27, Ryan Sandberg, 26, Maglia Ordonez, 25, Cal Schwarber, 24, Carlos Zambrano, 23, Jack McDowell, 22, Ryan Dempster, 21, Tim Anderson. And today we got number 20. He actually did number 20 yesterday, oh, Alexei oh, Ramirez. Okay. And on we go today to number 19. And that player is Jermaine Dye. Jermaine Dye. I remember him as a Braves prospect originally, but it was in Kansas City where he broke out. Huge year in 2000 there. And then four seasons in Kansas City, traded to Oakland, stayed there for four seasons, eventually non-tendered and became a free agent. So age 31, he signs a two-year deal with the White Sox. The career at a bit of a crossroads. Was he the guy who dominated as a Royal or the guy who seemed to decay just a little bit as an A? Picked a good first year to be a White Sox player in 2005, and he was really good. 31 homers, 86 RBIs, an 846 OPS, super solid defense in right field, 11 stolen bases, and such good vibes. A quiet vibe of excellence and professionalism. 
all helped push that team forward. World Series, south side, bottom of the first in game one. Jermaine Dye goes deep. Immediate exhale and a crowd explosion. In Houston, as the Sox look to sweep in game four, it's the eighth inning. Die has a chance with two outs. Brad Lidge on the mound and our friend Willie Harris on third base. There are over 42,000 people packed in here hoping that Lidge can get Jermaine Dye. That's up the middle and the White Sox take the lead. A two-out RBI hit by Jermaine Dye and Chicago is on top here in the top of the eighth. Brad Lidge gives up another big run. Winner this year, the most valuable player in the 2005 World Series is Jermaine Dye. And Jermaine, you had a wonderful World Series. You hit in every game, four hits in the last five at-bats, and the big hit that won the World Championship for the Chicago White Sox. Congratulations. Richly deserved. It feels unbelievable. Uh, you know, this is an exciting moment. First of all, I just want to thank the whole White Sox organization, Jerry Reinsdorf, for bringing me over here and uh, letting me get a chance to uh, help this team win a World Series and uh, something I'm never going to forget. Maybe very prolific. The, the slogan this year, Joe, win or die trying and standing here with Jermaine, die. Oh, my God. That, that, that's, that's great to hear. Good stuff from Chris Tannehill pulling that right there. They, you know, that World Series sweep is remembered for the Sox pitching, for Joe Creedy's defense, for the Game 2 heroics of Konerko and Pitsednik. But, yeah, seven hits, a double, a homer, three ribs for the MVP. 2006, he was phenomenal. Sox won 90 games, got as close as three games back in September, finished third, but don't blame Jermaine Dye. 25 homers in the first half, made the All-Star team, ended up hitting 315, finished third in slugging, fifth in runs scored, and reached a formidable and very rare home run milestone. With two down, the pitch to Jermaine, swinging a long one to left. This is his 40th, and it's going over the monster seats onto the street. That's how far that one went. A two-run homer, Sox lead 7-1. And that was a bomb for Jermaine Dye. He is coming to a very special club, 40 home runs for the White Sox. Not very many players in franchise history have done that. 44 total homers, second to Big Poppy David Ortiz on the year. Fifth in MVP voting, won a silver slugger. Bit of a step back in 2007, but then 36 homers and 96, 96 RBIs in 2008. So look, overall... As a White Sox player, six healthy full seasons in his 30s. Six. 30-plus homers three times, never less than 27. OPS only dipped below 800 in the final season, and that was 793. He had a terrible second half that year, convinced the Sox and everybody else that he was toast. He thought he had more in the tank. He didn't retire until a couple years later. Fans were, were comfortable when you saw Jermaine die in a big moment. He showed up, even if the results always did not. Solid, dependable. And a cool thing that we learned a couple years ago about his time in Chicago, everybody wanted to be like Mike, he tweeted, about Michael Jordan. Definitely my all-time favorite athlete. I had worn number 24 on every other team, but felt when I got to Chicago, it was only fitting to wear MJ's number if I was going to play in the same city as my favorite player did. I never knew that. So pretty cool uh, for Jermaine Dye. So on the proprietary uh, scale, that I've got going here uh, on def- on defense for Jermaine Dye. He gets an 8. Offense, he gets a 9. Vibes, he gets an 8. Teammateship, he gets an 8. Memorable moments, a 9. For a total of 42, Jermaine Dye, number 19 on the list. I like the scoring that you do. That that Especially the vibes, because vibes are a thing. Vibes matter. When you're playing 162 games, 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and I, I define the vibes as on behalf of the fans. Did fans look forward to seeing you? Did they leave the game liking you? You know? So, yeah, that, that matters greatly uh, to me, as as does the teammate ship. I'm having fun with this. Tanny, you enjoyed Jermaine Dye's run for Love the White JD. Sox. Like him, when he gets that base hit in game four of the World Series and, you know, and he knows it's up through the box and he's clapping his hands before he get, even gets out of the left hand and batter's box, it's one of those baseball images that's forever just – embedded into my brain that's something i'll never forget and there's one of the other reasons i love baseball is because you have guys with personalities from all over the world whether it's like a guy from florida who plays a game with an edge or guys from the dominican who play freely yes there's guys like jermaine die who just go about it as you mentioned quietly but confidently and you just have this comfort you know whenever he was in the batter's box that he was going to do the right thing and i love guys like that too that just put in the work because it's a grind man yeah when you put in the work every day and you just go about it quietly you don't have to be a look at me guy i love those guys too i love i love all those type of guys that's why i love baseball yeah man that that mix of uh, of personalities that that you need and having that steady stable rock in the field and at the plate's a big big deal you need that in your family like I do personally. No, the White Sox. <laughs> harkening back, listen to Marshall Harris, I'm professional just, media human, harkening back to the open of the show. I'm just saying. Yeah, you do. You know, Sister Sledge would be proud of Jermaine Dyson. I know. Although there's only one team that can use that Sister Sledge. Well, yeah, and that's those I, 1979 I, Pirates. I worked in Pittsburgh, so I. Oh, I'm, so you you worked everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I loved. Man, I, there- I, I loved Willie Stargell, Manny Sangui, and Dave Parker. That whole group. Omar Moreno. Oh, Kent Co- Colby. Little Cobra action. Yeah, uh, Dale Barra before I knew he was on cocaine the whole time. Just so you... <laughs> just, Sorry. Just so you know, my Pirates tenure was a little different. I was there during the... Freddie Sanchez wins a batting title. Jason Bay is the the, the best thing going oh, in God. an All Star, and and the and the city of Pittsburgh hosted the All Star game, so that was fun. Oh, yeah, there you go. So that that was my two 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 years two years plus in Pittsburgh. Man, I got a Jason Bay reference. My day is made. Mm-hmm. Mark Grody's in Indianapolis for the combine. Wide receivers today and quarterbacks spoke today. What did Moby Ditka hear? That's worth our while. That's coming up next on Parkinson Spiegel on the score.